0: Investigating an icon like St George and the boy from Italini involves a rigorous quest for evidence, even when there are no documents to give any clue about who painted it and why. Professor Robin Cormack of the Courtauld Institute has studied the icon in depth. The problem in identifying this icon is that we know nothing about its whereabouts before 1978. We have no history, so everything we say about it is deduced from looking at it. Dr Angeliki Limbaropoulou of the Open University.
1: St George, through his life, his miracles, he is a military saint. He's killing the dragon to save the princess. All the legends associated with St George have to do with his military nature and that's why also the crusaders liked him so much, obviously, and uh, that's how actually St George came back to the rest of Europe, and specifically England, to become the patron saint of England.
0: St George is certainly known in the Eastern Church before the Crusades, but from the 10th century onwards there was an enormous increase in the cult of St George. In terms of the Crusades, he was seen to be fighting miraculously on the Crusader side in Antioch in the 12th and 13th centuries. And so the Crusader armies identify St. George as one of the Eastern Saints working on their side.
1: In this icon uh, we have St. George on horseback and a little boy holding a glass and raising it up to St. George. This is actually a miracle of St. George that the saint performed after his death. Basically, what happened was that a boy was abducted from the Greek island of Mytilene by Saracens, who was taken to Crete. On the saint's name day, the boy's mother prayed to the saint to bring her boy back. And that's what happened. The saint actually came on his horse crossed over the sea with his horse, went to Crete and took the boy from his captors and back to his mother.
0: This icon comes from the 13th century and this is one of the earliest examples of this particular scene. It's catching on in the 13th century, partly perhaps because pilgrims went to Lydda and they were told by the guides at the pilgrimage site, all the stories of St. George. Maybe this was one of the ones that they featured. In due course, what people noticed was that the good guy was St. George and the bad guys were the Saracens. So it became a kind of paradigm for Christians against Islam. So I think it has a subtext of Christians versus Muslims, which is what's going on in the Crusader period. The armour is puzzling and suggests that the artist wasn't quite clear how to represent the armour that would have been worn by St. George because, so far as we know, Byzantines at this time wore scale like this but they wore plate armour over the shoulders. So this has misunderstood the rather delicate mix of plate and scale armour. Also, it looks more like leather than metal.
1: Saint George is depicted as a military saint, and that's his main representation. We always see him wearing the armor, as we see here. Uh, He's holding almost invariably a shield, which can be seen here on the right. The first time I actually saw this icon, I thought, hey, what's going on? Saint George has a wing. But actually, no, it's his curved shield, which makes it look as if he's bearing wings.
0: He has a red mantle flying held together by a brooch. That's quite correct for Byzantine armour, but the tunic down his legs is very odd, something quite Western and Western knights wore these long dresses. Byzantines wore short tunics. So the more you look at it, the more you see it's not quite normal for a Byzantine work. So in all, it's highly decorative but this wonderful red flowing mantle and the tunic below but it's not very practical. This, I don't think, would have been the best sort of protection if you were a horseman at the time.
1: According to the legend, St George took the boy at the moment he was about to serve wine to his captors. And as you can see in the icon, the boy is holding the raised glass with wine.
0: The glass of wine held by the boy indicates the moment of time when he was rescued. And the point is also made that this extremely large glass fits into what we know of Islamic glass making of this period. It looks like a glass made in the Arab world. The challenge of this painting is at first sight it looks like a Byzantine icon. But at second sight, as you look at it, there's some quite odd features. The figure of St. George swirls round the so-called Gothic swirl that you get in the West. The horse doesn't look like a Byzantine horse. So you begin to detect that this is somebody producing what looks like a Byzantine icon, but he has all sorts of tricks in his repertoire which are Western, so it looks like a Western artist doing his best to reproduce a famous Byzantine saint.
1: The artist was an above-average artist. The way he has rendered every single detail, from the landscape with the little plants and the water. The horse is beautifully done. I would almost say a bit of cheeky horse looks at us uh, with his big eyes. The colors he has used, everything, every single detail in this icon is very carefully chosen.
0: The background is in gesso, this is made out of gypsum, a kind of chalk mixed up. The artist in preparing the panel did a drawing on the flat gesso of the panel, then added this extra gypsum on top of that. It looks like a technique the artist had used before because it is so fluent, it must have worked extremely quickly in the wet gesso and then as it dried. He would then be able to fix on silver leaf on top. It gives a whole impression of richness and movement.
1: Over the years, the 20th and the 21st century, the gesso decoration, or gesso background, has been puzzling scholars, and many scholars have tried to explain why do we have this. This icon in particular, I think, has a little bit of silver on top of the gesso, so it makes it a little bit more luxurious
0: in the 13th century when this was produced one of the regions of the byzantine world where saint george was very popular was to the far east to the region now known as georgia their patron saint was saint george and georgian artists produced precious metal versions of saint george in the 11th and 12th century it seems very likely that this artist had seen one of these Georgian productions, or maybe an imitation by an artist in Palestine. So the idea of George being produced in gold or in silver for the aristocracy was a well-established tradition in the Greek East, which the crusaders, when they arrived, would have confronted for the first time.
1: Well, these rolling eyes You can see that these eyes are very prominent. They have the white bit, and then they kind of almost come out of the face. They're looking at you intensively.
0: These bulging eyes are only found in a very small number of works. And instantly you look at them, you see it, you ask, why has the artist done this? He's exaggerated the gaze in a very distinctive way. Only those paintings of around 1250 have them. It's an extraordinarily short-lived fashion and eccentricity of a small group of artists.
1: Some scholars connect this specific stylistic characteristic with French art, and it is highly likely indeed that the artist who perhaps made this icon came to the Holy Land with Saint Louis IX.
0: It's some way a reaction to what these artists saw when they saw Byzantine churches, perhaps when they went in and saw a mosaic or a fresco, they noticed the large eyes, it struck them. They exaggerated what they saw, I think.
1: This massive Byzantine eyes, basically eyes that we see in the Byzantine virgins, would have made an impression on any artist unfamiliar uh, with that. Look, looking at these big eyes that dominate the saints' faces in Byzantine icons and basically creating their own interpretation of what they saw within their own culture.
0: The landscape elements at the bottom of the icon are extremely distinctive. You might have expected the gesso to completely cover the background, but no, at the bottom the horse gallops over scenery with little sharp mountains with plants growing and right at the bottom you can just detect water. The landscape is rendered
1: with a minimum of detail, at the same time making clear of the precise moment of the miracle. We have mountains which is an indication of Crete, because Crete is an extremely mountainous place. And we have the water very beautifully rendered, a little stream of water to indicate the sea
0: that the saint had to cross. This is scene making. This shows you that the horse is traveling over the Aegean Sea from Crete back to the island of Lesbos, back to Mytilene. So it's an essential part of the story.
1: The landscape does tell us something very specific, that the painter was looking at Byzantine art. The way the mountains are entered, with these kind of very sharp edges at the top, it's the way Byzantine art depicts mountains. So uh, we can be almost certain that the painter, the artist of this specific icon, is looking at Byzantine work.
0: The important aspect of this icon is that because it's in the British Museum it's been possible to do close technical analysis of the icon. The first thing that was found was that the pigments are mixed normally in a Byzantine icon with egg tempera, but one speck showed that oil was used as well. So there's a mixture of oil and tempera. So far in analysis, it's only found in Western panel painting and it's never been found in the East. So this looks to be a hint of the artist coming from the West. The other information given by the conservation was that the panel is on pine. And this would suggest it's made in the Mediterranean. Northern panels are usually in heavier wood, like oak. But this is a pine from the Mediterranean. And there's something extremely peculiar about this icon, which is that the normal way a Byzantine icon is made is to cut out the wood in the centre and to have a frame. Looking at this icon you can see there is a frame and the main composition is set back so the frame comes forward and the composition on the wood, but it's not done in the normal way. It's done by fixing in linen, paper and parchment And we found this very peculiar and odd technique in a couple of other icons now in the collection of the monastery at Mount Sinai which I think are an indication of work by the same painter. So the technical information has allowed us to go beyond style and to look about the workshop practices of this particular painter. I happen to believe this artist was trained in Paris and that probably meant he saw lots of miniatures and manuscripts and was interested in what was going on in Paris. But he was confronted with a whole tradition of Byzantine art, which is a very good art for communicating emotions and beliefs. So he adapted what he'd learned in Paris to what he saw in the East and he looked at particular features of Byzantium that he thought would work well, like the relatively two-dimensional image and the bright colours, and at the same time the way that the figure looks directly at the viewer and so makes contact with the praying viewer.
1: Who would have been the recipient of the icon, or for whom the icon may have been produced, is quite a controversial issue. It could have been for a pilgrim who uh, was traveling to the Holy Land and wanted the icon as a souvenir, perhaps. Or uh, it could have been something more personal because he would have wanted something similar, a rescuing of a beloved person. Or, again, could have been somebody named George, having a miracle of his name saint who uh, would have been his protector and watching over him.
0: In this case, I think that the artist travelled from Paris producing pilgrimage works on the way as he went through Cyprus, through Acre and then over the desert to Sinai. And so we have, as it were, a profile of a travelling artist working particularly for Western pilgrims.
1: You have to imagine these troops that came over to Holy Land were not purely military. They were a motley crew. They had priests. They had obviously women following them. They had artists. They had people who were seeking uh, fortune. A lot of people were following the military troops because it was quite safe to travel with soldiers. So a lot of people, including artists, came over to the land.
0: My suspicion is that the artist worked at the Monastery of St. Catherine's on Mount Sinai, which was one of the most elite sources of pilgrimage in the Middle Ages. Many people went to Jerusalem and to other sacred places in the Holy Land, but only the most exclusive and mostly men went to Sinai. I think that they either took icons with them to give as donations to the monastery, or they purchased icons at the monastery. They were for sale and they may have brought them back.
1: We also have the local artists, people who were already in the Holy Land working as artists. And of course we also have the people who came from Byzantium, from Constantinople, for the same reasons, to make a fortune. And we have this basically melting pot where everything meets different cultures, East meets West, and you have different people working on this art and that's why it's so hybrid, this art.
0: To me, one of the surprising things about working at Sinai is to realize the extraordinary amount of movement of peoples in the Middle Ages, artists, traders, pilgrims, so that the impression you get from this is of immigrants to the East who are highly impressed by what they see. They don't impose their own traditions on the East. They take over They choose parts of the tradition in the East and make a new kind of art which is just distinctive over this short time.